Psalm chapter 1. I'll read it and we will pray one more time and get into the Word of God. So Psalm chapter 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So God, we thank you again that we can open up your word together. That truly whatever is going on individually and corporately, we can sit at your feet, Jesus, and we can hear the words of God. We can know that the spirit of God will help us and will speak to us through the word. We thank you for your word, God. I I thank you that your word tells us your word is pure and it's perfect. Through it, you revive and restore our souls. Your word is sure and it's true. It's trustworthy. It's, It's solid ground. Lord, your word makes wise the simple. Your your word leads us in repentance. Your word rejoices our hearts and it it satisfies our souls. Your, Your word is clean. There's nothing like your word. And so together we we open it, we turn to it. We're expecting to hear from you and above all, Spirit of God, we know that your word shows us Jesus. Your word leads us to Jesus. Even the Old Testament, even the Psalms, we're, we're fulfilled in Christ and point to Christ. They prepare our hearts for Christ. So Spirit of God right now, would, would you, no matter what's going on in our lives, would you lead us to the feet of Jesus through your word? I thank you for the feast that is before us in this Psalm. Would you give us uh, good attention spans now, Lord? Prepare us to just chew on the richness of your word. And it's in Jesus' name we say together, amen. Amen. Well, a question every human being is asking, every human being who's ever lived is asking is, is what is the good life? Or, or how can I be happy? And, how, and how, do I, how do I achieve that? It's the question that all the philosophers have all been trying to answer. What's the meaning of life? What's the good life? How can we be happy? It's the question every religion is answering or trying to answer. How can I be happy? How can I have rest for my soul? It's a question even, even Satan brought up in the very beginning with Adam and Eve. They were happy. They were walking with God, but he came in and began to instill some doubts. Are you really happy? Why don't you go this way? And, and from that moment on, every human has felt in their soul this longing 
to be at rest, this longing for joy, this longing for happiness. There's this old French philosopher and mathematician and all, you know, back in the day they did it all. His name was Blaise Pascal and he sought to answer this question. What is it to find happiness? He wrote a couple of books on the subject and he says this quote that's been often referred to. Listen to what he says about humanity seeking happiness. He says, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man. And then he makes a crazy statement. Even of those who hang themselves. Even those who go to great lengths, great extremes, they're seeking rest, they're seeking joy, they're seeking happiness. There's this groan in the human heart to be happy. Uh, 2020 took its toll on human happiness. There was a, uh, a study done. And this was in June, okay? So this isn't even like the latter half of 2020. But in June... Only 14% of Americans would identify as being happy. And that's an that's a all-time low from, from when that study began in the, in the 50s. For 50 years, the, the humans in, in America in particular are expressing this lack of happiness. Now, Psalm chapter 1. The first psalm in, in, the, in the whole Psalter, it's, it serves as an introduction to the rest of the psalms. It covers all the themes that will be covered in the psalms. Psalm 1 tells you there is a way to be happy. It can be done. Your soul can find rest. And it also tells us where not to look. Psalm 1 tells you it's not found where the world is looking. The world's looking, but, but you're not going to find it where they're looking. And it also even says, and you're not going to find it among the world. You won't find true happiness, true peace among the people of the world. The very first word of the psalm in our English translations is the word blessed. Blessed. Now, there's actually two Hebrew words for blessed. One is Barak, and it means, it's kind of what we think when we think blessed. It means to like be blessed by God, to, to have like this holiness bestowed on something. And then there's this other word, Asher, or Ashray, and it simply means happy, to be happy. Now, incredibly, we may think Psalm 1 starts with that, that kind of holy blessed word, but it doesn't. It starts with Asher. It's talking about happiness. It's talking about joy and satisfaction. It's, it's speaking of how to find happiness in your soul. And this is another thing that I discovered this week. That word blessed in Hebrew is actually plural, meaning it's saying, another way you could put it is, oh, the joys with, a, with an S. That's the way the New Living Translation translated for that reason. That's a plural word. It's not just this person is happy. It's speaking of all the joys that come with 
walking with God. All the, the, this, this list that we're going to go through, these are the, the happinesses, or as some of the commentators of old said, the blessednesses of those who walk with God. This is a plural word speaking of the blessings, the happinesses, the joys that await those who would continue to read this psalm and engage with it. So the structure of this psalm is essentially, it's really two parts. In the first three verses, it speaks of the blessed life or the happy life or the joyful life, the blessed life. And the second three verses speak of the wicked life. It begins with the blessed life and it ends with the wicked life. So we're going to just walk through this verse by verse, honestly, phrase by phrase, because it is that good. And we're going to first study what is it to have the blessed life. And the the first thing to notice, the first thing, if you want to take notes, the first thing to write down is this, the blessed life is in Christ. And you may not know this, but that's actually in the text. That word blessed speaks first and foremost, blessed is the man. And it's going to go on to describe this man. But let me just tell you, there has only ever been one truly blessed man. There has only ever been one perfect man. There's only been one man who has read this psalm and says, yeah, I could check those boxes. I did that. His name is Jesus. Part of the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has accomplished what we never could accomplish. He has purchased what we never could purchase. In Christ, our sin and our death and our misery was transferred to him. He became sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. All the righteousness and the life, and yes, even the happiness of Jesus is transferred to you when you turn from your sin and trust in him. So the first thing about the blessed life is, listen, it's only going to be found in Christ. It's only going to be found in those who have trusted in the blessed man. The first time this word Asher is used in the Bible, this particular word is not until Deuteronomy chapter 30, 32. And I want to read for you this verse. It speaks for itself. Actually, Deuteronomy 33 verse 29. It says this, the first time it shows up, and even in the ESV, it uses the word happy. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you. And then listen, a people saved by the Lord. Do you hear that? Where does happiness come from? It comes from a people who have been saved by the Lord. Happiness is found in salvation. Happiness is found in in Christ. To be blessed, to be happy, is to be rescued by the saving work and blood of Jesus. And you may not know this, as there's two words for blessed in the Old Testament, there's actually two words for blessed in the New Testament. And they they parallel exactly. One of them carries that same idea of to be holy or set apart. But the other word, makarios, means to be happy. Now, Jesus starts his famous Sermon on the Mount. You remember with the Beatitudes and he says, blessed are the blank, blessed are the blank, blessed are the, and he's using the word for happy. Psalm 1 starts talking about how to be happy. Jesus begins his first sermon, the most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount with this list of happy are those. And what's the first of the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Why are the poor in spirit happy? Well, to be poor in spirit means to recognize I need Jesus. I cannot offer my own righteousness. My spirit is poor. I cannot save myself. To be poor in spirit is to recognize apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. I need Jesus. And so Psalm begins and Jesus begins his teaching with this idea to be happy. You are to recognize you need to be saved and you need to be in Christ Jesus. That is the secret of happiness that the world does not know. They can't know. And if they discover it, they're no longer of the world. They're of Christ. That is the secret of joy and peace and satisfaction. As Augustine famously said, our hearts are restless till they find their rest in you. Happiness is found in Christ. And that's just the first word of this psalm. Oh my goodness. I promise I'll speed up, but the first one are a little bit a little bit lengthier. So the first secret of happiness, the blessed life is in Christ. The second is this. The blessed life is a separated life. It's a separated life. Uh, This is kind of counterintuitive. Often the Bible, we read it and we're like, man, it's kind of harsh. This is kind of negative. He begins, blessed is a man. And then he continues with these three negatives. And he says, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. The author here, probably David, as far as we can tell, under the inspiration, what he's doing here, even as he's being kind of negative, he's fighting for your joy. Saying, if you want joy, if you want happiness, don't go that way. You won't find it over there. You won't find it with them. Don't walk in the wicked's counsel. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't sit and scoff with the people of the world. He's not saying this is important. We're, we're, we're never to interact with the world. He's not saying you, you, you are to leave the world. We, we, we know that. Jesus, who perfectly ob- uh, uh, obeyed and fulfills this psalm, was called a friend of sinners. This isn't that we're not to go interact with and share the gospel with and even befriend in some significant way the lost. But what it is saying is don't look to the world for your happiness. Don't look to the world for counsel on how to make good decisions, on on how to discern what is right and wrong, on, on who to marry or what job to take or where to move or how to prioritize your life. You won't find it there. And notice there's this progression. It starts with, you know, don't, don't listen to their counsel, but then it goes, or, or don't stand with them. You know, it's, this is, we, we see this descent into ungodliness. Honestly, this, this psalm in some ways has a descent into hell. The last word is perish. And it begins here. Don't take their counsel in. And where we're taking in their counsel, all of a sudden, you kind of begin to stand with them. Stand for the things they stand for. You, you, you're you're um, gathered around the things they gather around. And then finally, it, it's, it's, like, it's like, verse one is how to slow down your happiness. You start with this counsel and you're walking. And all of a sudden, you're standing. And then finally, you're sitting in the seat of scoffers. It starts with, yeah, I'm just taking in some ideas. Maybe they have an idea how to be happy or what's wise. And then I'm standing with them. And finally, I find myself in their seat, 
with them. We, we see this actually embodied it with the fall of Peter. Remember Peter? Remember how he, I imagine he thinks, how did I ever get to the point where I was denying I ever even knew Jesus? Well, that night when Jesus was arrested, they all fled. And then it says, Peter followed at a distance. He was maybe walking with the wicked. And then next we see he's in the courtyard and it says he's warming himself at their fire. Do you know what that means? That means he's standing. He's standing with them. He's warming himself around the things they warm themselves. And then finally he joins in the scoffing and says, I never knew the man. He was calling curses upon himself, denying Christ. This is the pattern. This is the progression, the descent away from happiness, away from the good life into misery. And so the psalmist is here fighting for your joy, saying, don't go that way. Be careful, be guarded, set yourself apart, separate yourself. And really where this probably applies and is most needed for us, you're, you're probably not sitting around, you know, with a bunch of non-believers scoffing at God. Maybe you are. But I can imagine maybe some of us at least have some good friends that we spend significant time with and our, our hearts are united. Or, or maybe even it's simply what are we allowing into our brains? What counsel, what ideas through the shows we watch, through the music we listen to, is it the world? Listen, every song that an unbeliever sings, they're still singing about how to be happy. They're still asking the same question you are, but they don't have Christ. And so they're answering that question with with other ideas. Well, this is where joy is. Well, this is where you can find it. This is the way to go. And so the blessed life, the happy life is a separated life. We're, we're wise. We fight for our own happiness by saying, no, I'm not just going to sit in that or stand with that. Third, we see the blessed life, and this is a key word, delights in the Bible. Delights. It doesn't say you read your Bible every single day. It doesn't say you agree the Bible is infallible and inerrant and sufficient. It doesn't even say you obey it always. It says his delight is in the law of the Lord. You know, those who are truly happy, they love the Bible. They take pleasure in reading and obeying the word of God. They long to read it. Quiet times are never long enough. That is the mark of one who is truly happy. One who just cannot wait to get away and be with God in his word. They delight in it. Listen, some of you don't have a hard time avoiding the world, but, but, but do you love the Bible? Do you love being with God in his word? Do you, does it delight you like nothing else can? You know, one of the keys, we can't will ourselves into changing what we love. Can't will ourselves into, it's not like you just need a taste for the Bible. It's like black coffee and you just gotta like, you know, get it started and maybe one day it'll get better. Listen, you need new taste buds. You need a new heart. We need new affections given to us from God. 
This is actually a promise in Jeremiah 31 when God promised salvation in the new covenant. I want to read that passage for us. This is what must happen before you ever will love the Bible. Jeremiah 31, verse 31, 34, God is speaking about the new covenant. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What happens at salvation is we get a new heart, a tender heart, one that already has the law written on it. When we hear the Bible, we don't go, ooh, we go, ah, yes, I love this book. I love these truths. Carry your cross, deny yourself. You're like, ah, it's kind of hard, but there's something in there that's like, that's right. That is the way to joy. That is the way to life. The blessed life, the happy life is one that loves, and I love that it says the law of the who? The Lord. Do you know why we love the Bible? Because it's the Lord's law. He gave it to us. That word Lord there, you see it in all caps is the word for Yahweh. The the Bible is from Yahweh. It's Yahweh's book to you. It's Yahweh's law to you. He wrote it. He gave it to us. It tells us who he is and what he's like. And it tells us the great story of how we rebelled, but how he came and rescued us so that we can be back with him. It shows us our need for grace. And it also tells us of how to get that grace through the person of Jesus. This is Yahweh's story. This is Yahweh's book. That is why we love the Bible. That we would, church, that we would recognize the lie of the serpent that cast doubt on the word of God. That says, you know what? Joy is not found here. Did God really say that? that we would recognize, man, that's what Satan says. You know, you need to go to another book for that issue. You know, if you really want this, you need to go over here. You know, these are the experts for that. That that we would recognize, no, this is the law of Yahweh. Where else would we go to understand God and our soul and our heart and our mind and relationships in the world and history? Where else would we go to understand how to find happiness, but the law of the Lord. Next, we see the blessed life is diligent with the Bible. It's diligent. Not only does does this person love the law, they're diligent with it. It says, on his law and on his law, he meditates day and night. That word meditate, you could also translate it, it simply means to mutter. 
It's funny, today when we think of meditation, we often think of like clearing your mind. Biblically, it's the opposite. It's about what are you choosing to keep your mind fixed on? It means to to mutter something, to chew on something, to go over the same thing over and over and over again. It's to train our subconscious with our conscious to this is what is true. This is what is true. This is what is true. It's, it's to prepare ourselves in advance by meditating on a truth, on the game plan, like an athlete who, you listen, they're in a championship moment and, and they're stressed out. Am I going to make this shot? Do you know why the champions are not stressed out? Because they have made that shot a hundred thousand times. They're not thinking about it. They, they don't even, it's just automatic. They have been chewing on, practicing, going through that groove over and over and over again. That's what we are to do with the word of God for our souls. We're, we're to prepare our hearts, prepare our minds for, for, for whatever, whatever the need may be. What, whatever temptations you tend to run up against, the Bible addresses those things. And part of the way that the Spirit of God makes a way out is by saying, guard your way by storing this up in your heart. Remember what the Bible says about that temptation. And then, listen, don't just try to hope you can remember in the moment, although that's true. Be chewing and meditating and muttering that verse all day long, day and night, day and night. So when it comes, you're not like, oh my gosh, what am I? You're like, I already know the answer. I already know what to do. I already know the way to go. We're muttering, we're chewing, we're we're meditating on the things that we need. Whatever doubts you may have, if you're prone to anxiety, if you're prone to lust, if you're prone to pride, chew on scriptures that apply to those things. Bring them to mind all day long, all night long. Memorize them in the night, in the evening, when you're bored. Chew on the Bible. Be diligent in it and it will guard you in these moments. That's what it is to meditate constantly on the word. Next, we see the blessed life is one that has been planted by God. Planted by God. He, verse three, he is like a tree planted. And I just want to stop there. That, that's, that doesn't mean that, that's not a tree that just happened to be there. That's not a tree that just, you know, accidentally was there. A bird dropped a seed and the tree came. This, is, this speaks of intentionality. This tree was put there by someone. This, this tree is one that is, as if we read in light of verse one and what we've already said, this is a tree that is in Christ, that's been personally planted by the Father through the work of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the Father's tree. If you remember John 15, the metaphor of I'm the vine and you are the branches, he says the vine dresser, the one who's in charge of this whole thing is the Father. A tree that is in Christ has been planted personally by God the Father. And that brings happiness. The Christian life is happy because you're not an accident. You're not your own. You're not a freak of like the causes in the universe that just, well, the tree dropped there. No, that's not what's been going on. We have been placed there under the care of our Father. We have been planted. Psalm 92 speaks to this. This is a particular shout out to those with gray heads here. Psalm 92. Let me read 
verses 12 through 14. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. They still bear fruit in old age. They are ever full of sap and green. Man, we've been placed, planted by God in his house and we will continue to flourish. We need not fear. Oh man, you know, getting a few more rings around the old tree. I don't know if I'm gonna make it here. No, you've been planted in place by God. And as long as you are here, you are under his care until he takes you home. The, the blessed life is one that's been planted by God. Next we see the, the blessed life is one sustained by the Holy Spirit. It says he's like a tree planted by what? By streams of water. Now this is a thing that, I, that I'd never noticed until this week. Streams is plural. Streams of water. Not a river, but streams of water. You know what that means? This is no ordinary stream. This is no natural kind of stream. This is streams. What does that even mean? I'm trying to picture streams and a tree, right? That, what, what this word actually means when I dug in, and it can be translated a channel or canal. What it's referring to is, is a irrigation. This is a stream of water. This is streams of water that have been placed there for the good of the tree. They've been put there by design. We actually have a parallel to this in John 7, verse 38. Let me read this for you. When Jesus stands up at the feast, John 7, 38, 39, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers, plural, of living water. In verse 39, now this he said about the spirit. This idea of plural streams coming is an idea of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. The spirit is like streams that are constantly coming and nourishing and sustaining the person. Listen, the Christian life is a happy life because the streams that sustain us never run dry. Do you hear that? The Christian life is a happy life because the streams that sustain us never run dry. No matter the conditions on the outside, those streams keep flowing on the inside. The spirit just keeps on flowing. Next we see the blessed life is a fruitful life. Psalm 1 Rest of Psalm 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And that, that, that qualifier in its season actually matters. Because listen, anyone can pretend to be a Christian. Anyone can be nice for a while. Anyone can muster up enough like Christianly things to say and do and speak. They can raise their hands and worship. They can go through a reading plan. That doesn't mean it's true fruit of the Holy Spirit. To yield fruit in its season means this. It means you produce love when you have been hated. That's fruit in its season. That's not normal love. 
That's supernatural love. That means you produce joy when you are suffering. It means you produce peace when you're in a storm. You produce patience when you're being tested. You produce kindness when you're being mistreated. You produce goodness when you're surrounded by vileness. You produce faithfulness when everyone else is going their own way. You produce gentleness when you're being treated harshly and you produce self-control when you face temptation. That's fruit in its season. That's fruit when you need it. That's fruit when it comes exactly when it needs to come. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. That's the fruit, the evidence of a tree that's been planted by God and is being sustained by the Spirit that is in Christ, that whatever may come, you produce fruit still because it's from God. It's the fruit that comes from God. Next, we see the blessed life is a persevering life. The last or second to last line, and its leaf does not wither. Its leaf does not wither. Leaves wither because of drought. Leaves wither because it's really hot in the daytime and it's really cold at night. Leaves wither because of these outside conditions that are really adverse. And and simply what this is saying is Christians can be happy no matter the external circumstances, no matter how brutal things are out here, we can, we can know that we will be sustained and our leaves will not wither by God. Listen, no matter how difficult the, the external life is of a true Christian, they don't wither up. And adversely, no matter how at ease a non-Christian may be, they will not make it in the end. Finally, in this verse three, we see the blessed life is an effective life. In all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, not only does he not wither and he sustains or she makes it through a trial, they're effective. We think of Joseph. Joseph is such a great example here because he he was in a really bad situation for a really long time. And yet not only did he like survive it when a drought came and and threatened literally the survival of mankind, God used that man to care for and provide for the world. Not only did he like maintain his character in prison, not only did he not wither up in hard circumstances, God used this man to be effective in the world. Joseph is an example here of what it is to be a a truly happy man. Now we come to verses four through six, the wicked life. And this will be shorter uh, simply because there's less substance in these three verses. There's about 10 or so qualifiers about the the blessed man. There's about five of the wicked man. And, And that in in and of itself is significant. They both get the same amount of airtime. You get three verses, you get three verses. But what it's saying is there's simply less to a wicked person. There's less to say. There's less not to say. There's just not substance that is in a righteous person versus the wicked person. And so briefly, we're gonna walk through. Let's, let's see as we finish this verse. The first thing to say about the wicked is it's simply not blessed. Look how it starts off. The wicked are not so. They are not in Christ. 
They do not delight in God's word. They are not planted by God. They are not sustained by the spirit. They are not bearing fruit. They're not lasting in trials. They're not truly effective. It's just a sad sentence. The wicked are not so. You hear these blessings, but for the wicked, it's just not so. Next, we see the wicked life is a hollow life. The metaphor here is they are like chaff that the wind drives away. That's where we get that idea of hollow, empty, light. Chaff was the outer shell of a grain of wheat. And how it was removed is wheat is crushed and it separates the chaff from the wheat and then it would be tossed up in the air and the wind would catch these hollow shells and the the grain would fall back down because it had substance to it. And so you would throw it up and whatever was light would be driven away by the wind and whatever had substance would fall back down. Listen, both are crushed, but the wheat remains. The chaff is hollow and it's easily driven about. The, the, The wicked in this world have no true independent substance. They're going to go where the wind goes. They're going to go where the waves go. There's nothing to them like the righteous. They don't truly stand for anything. They are hollow. Next, we see the wicked are without hope. Verse five, therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment. Man, it's just a, a heavy thought. We will all stand before God one day. The wicked will the righteous will. And the the, the righteous will be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of their own. They will have substance. They will have a life of fruitfulness because of that communion with God. And yet the guilty will not be able to stand. The, the, The weight of their guilt will be on them and them alone. And they won't stand up in that final day. Fourth, we see the wicked life is without fellowship, true fellowship with the people of God. It says, they will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. You know, one of the sweetest things about being a Christian is you could travel anywhere in the world, but there is real fellowship around Jesus. There's like real, real community, not community because we want it and we're looking for it. It's true community is a byproduct. We're all here for this. And so I have more in common with you, stranger, than, I, than, than this person who could be my, my twin sibling who doesn't know Christ. Because we're gonna be together with, around Jesus forever. We have the same loves and affections. One of the saddest thing about not knowing Christ is you don't get that true fellowship, that true sense of belonging in a group of people this congregation of the righteous. They are gonna stand before God and they're gonna see all the people going into this great feast and they won't get to go in. They're gonna be on the outside looking in on this wonderful congregation. And that's where they will be forever, not in the congregation. And then finally, it ends as tragic as it could in verse six. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The way of the wicked will perish. And I just want to remind every person here, no matter who you are, that we were all wicked. We were all deserving 
of the wrath of God because of our sin. Every one of us. And yet, the Bible tells us that God so loved that fallen world that he sent his son, that whoever would trust in him, here's the word, shall not perish. There is good news. We'll end where we started. There is good news for the wicked. There is good news for you and for me. There is real hope in the person of Jesus. That no matter the ways you have gone in Christ, you will not perish. But this psalm reminds us, but if you are not in Christ, you will perish for all of eternity. Now this psalm is willing to speak that honestly so that you could be truly happy, so that you could have joy. The psalm is is willing to confront us where we're falling short for our own joy. If someone was to perish for all eternity, would it not be gracious for someone to say, don't go that way. There is another way. As we walk through each phrase in this psalm, I hope and pray that the spirit of God kind of put his finger, hey, that's something that we need to work on together. That's, that's an area because, listen, you're already loved and you're in Christ, but I want you to not suffer and go the way of the wicked here. I want you to have true joy and happiness. Come this way. The psalm reminds us that God loves us enough to confront us in our wickedness, in our foolishness, so that we could be found in Christ and have true joy for all of eternity. So Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are full of grace and full of truth. We thank you that you love the world enough to come as the word and to speak truth, to come as the light into the world, to say there's a way out of this darkness. There is a way out of misery. Come and follow me. Deny yourself, repent of your sins, stop going the way you've been going and come follow me to life. Put your hope and your trust in me. And Jesus, I thank you that you died a perfect substitutionary death on the cross and you rose again and you're seated at the right hand of the Father so that whoever here today has put their trust in you can have fellowship with God and a truly happy, joyful life, a life of substance a life with weight and significance and meaning, a life that affects, it's effective in the world wherever it goes, a life that is bearing the fruit of the spirit of God, a life that loves the word of God, that is growing day after day after day in their love for and their knowledge of the word. I thank you, Jesus, that for those who've trusted in you, we have the spirit of God in us welling up like streams of water, streams of life that will never run dry no matter if we are still in the flesh and we're still weak and we still stumble and, and, and we, like the prophet Jeremiah said, we often go looking for cisterns to hold water that, that really don't even hold water. I thank you that we can come back to Christ and find true help, find true satisfaction, true water nourishment for our souls. I thank you that walking with you, God, is the good life. That walking with you, God, as Enoch walked with you, that's, that is the way to life and to joy. And though we 
blew it as Adam and Eve used to walk with you and then they were sent away from the garden. I thank you, Christ, you came to make things right so that now we can walk with you again. We can walk with you all of our days, even to old age. We can continue to bear sap and fruit and be effective no matter who we are, where we're at, where we have been. We thank you for the offer of the good life that is found in Jesus, that is found in his word. So now Christ, would we just look to you where we have fallen short, where we have uh, wandered off with the world. Would we just look back to you right now? Spirit of God, would you together fix all of our gaze onto the person of Jesus?